Our gracious God, our true Father in heaven, Lord, we uh, humbly come before you now, asking, Lord, that you would come, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us words of truth to cause us to see you and to know you. Lord, would you help me as a mere man to stand aside and allow you to speak freely to us? Father, would we hear in such a way that we are challenged and changed that we would leave here different for your sake? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning, Chapel Street. Morning, Chapel Street online. It's always good to be back each Sunday morning. And as you probably guessed, we're back in the little mini-series of the I Am Sayings. And no prizes for guessing which one it is this week. It's been mentioned about 10 times from Psalm 104 onwards, which is great. There's a table that's set before us this morning. Uh, there are seven I Am Sayings, and we're going to do eight. And you'll see why when we get to uh, the eighth one. But this is the sixth. So there aren't many to go. We're getting there. We're more than halfway. And just to remind us, as we always need to at the beginning of this series, the I am sayings are sayings that Jesus makes to talk about who he is. God. I am is a statement. I am God. And then he applies a metaphor. And in this case, it's the bread of life. We're familiar, hopefully, with all the others. Now, you'll be pleased to know we won't be preaching on the entire passage that's just been read, because not only is it long, it's very complex and not a little confusing. And if you don't think it's confusing, have a note that the Jews that are listening to the Lord are very confused. So we won't be doing it all. But we will be dipping into this I am the bread of life expression that the Lord uses. And I want to make sure that we understand the context of this passage before we get into it. Just consider for a moment, the Lord has been in Jerusalem. He's been performing miracles and speaking again, out against falsehood and lies. And he has decided to go to Galilee, which is north. And normally Jews on the way to Galilee don't go through the next country. They avoid it. The next country is Samaria. And they go east over the Jordan, they go up that side, and then they cross into to Galilee from there. But the Lord Jesus has chosen to go in and through Galilee. And the disciples go in with him, but the crowds, they don't. Because it's an unclean land. They can't go that way. And we know that the Lord meets the woman at the well at Gal at, in, in Samaria. And eventually he gets to Galilee this fantastic miracle takes place where the crowds have joined Jesus. And he gets them to sit down on the hill on the green grass and he feeds them. And it says that there are 5,000 men. So 5,000 men plus women plus children. And there are just a few loaves, a couple of fish. And yet he feeds them all. And then that night, the disciples get in the boat to go across the Sea of Tiberias or Galilee to go to a town called Capernaum. The Lord's not with them. And then he appears with them on the water, walking on the water. 
And when he gets into the boat, they're suddenly at Capernaum. And in the morning, the crowds wake up and they realize the Lord isn't there. And they deduce that he has probably gone across the lake. So they get in boats and they get themselves to where he is as quickly as they can because they've been following this man, the miracle worker. I gather it's about 130 kilometers of a walk from Jerusalem to Galilee. It's a long walk. These are poor people. They have no money, really. They didn't necessarily take food. But they're committed to following this miracle worker. And that's where we find ourselves in this text. They've caught up with him, and they're going to learn more from him and draw near to him. I want to give us a quick overview of what this text appears to be saying, and then we'll dive into the smaller detail or the bigger detail. The Lord makes it very clear to them at the beginning of this passage that they're now following him not because of the miracles. That sounds good, except they're now following him because they've had their fill of food. They've realized that Jesus cannot just do miracles. He can provide for them in this life. Food is an essential requirement for life, for living, for continuing in this life. And they're following him for that reason. And it seems like there's a kind of growth in their thinking. But he tells them to work not for food that perishes, but for food that leads to eternal life and gives real genuine life. They say, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work of faith is believing in Jesus. Not just obeying a law to know eternal life. That's what the Jews thought and believed. That's why the law exists, to demonstrate that God is holy. Man cannot live in an eternal sense by the law. What's the result of this little dialogue that goes on? Well, astoundingly, they ask Jesus for a miracle. <laughs> the one thing they seem to have got beyond. They say, show us a sign that demonstrates that you have this authority to speak like this. And they appeal to the place that Jews often appeal to, in the Bible, and that is their history. They say, look, when we uh, read the text, the Bible, the Old Testament, we learned that our ancestors in the wilderness, when Moses called them out of Egypt, and they ended up in the wilderness for 40 years, in the desert, quite literally, our fa the Father gave heavenly food, manna that fell to the ground and they ate. It's a great place to go. This bread theme is very much a part of it. Manna is like a kind of bread. And so Jesus gives them a bit of a history lesson. He says to them quite curtly, hey, it wasn't Moses who did that. It was my father in heaven. And my father gives the true bread from heaven. And we live by it. You live by it. And then he moves quite extraordinarily at the end of this passage from bread to flesh and blood just eating the bread that is the I am that is the life but eating the flesh 
and drinking of blood. It's quite macabre. Of course, we know as Christians now, post all these events, what he's talking about. But to these people, that was insane. They grumbled. They got angry. They argued with one another. What is he talking about? How can we eat his flesh and drink his blood? And what I want to just say to you as a general comment is to consider the picture of feeding on Christ. Of feeding on him, of getting nourishment for life and for living life. To feed on Christ. And so our key verse is the one in verse 35. If you have your Bibles, please keep them open. Otherwise, you might think I'm making it up. You won't know. So read the text and you can correct me if I get anything wrong. Verse 35 in John 6 says, Then Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I've just got a couple of simple thoughts for us to consider. And then a big question. The question is really two questions, but... I want you to prepare yourselves for the question as we get to it. So our first thought is, why bread? Why this metaphor, I am the bread of life? Why not fish or eggs or some other food stuff? Why bread? What's the significance of bread? Well, in a way, it's the perfect metaphor that Jesus is trying to expound the I am that he is in him. Let's think about it for a second. Every culture has bread. I'm pretty confident that any country you've come from or been to in your life will have some kind of bread. And you'll probably know some of them. I, I thought I'd look them up and I found 50, but I'm not going to read the 50 out, but 50 from different countries. Naan bread. Where's that come from? India. Chapati is also from India. It's a kind of bread. Shorbing bread, which is from China. Chala, which is a modern bread from Israel. The humble baguette. You know where that's from. Pretzels. Fry bread. It's American. What do we have? We've got damper. Anybody here eating damper? Yeah. It's bread. It's very basic bread, but it's a bread. And of course, we have bread that we eat regularly and buy regularly from Coles. And I don't even know what the brands are called, but there are many of them. That's how big a deal bread is in our culture. Go to the, the shelves in Coles or in Woolworths, and you will see lots of different types and kinds and brands of bread. It's a perfect metaphor because it's something that we have in our everyday life. Raise your hand if you had bread this morning. Just two of us. <laughs> Raise your hand if you had bread this week. Okay, that's more like it. There's a lot about not eating big carbohydrates today, in the Western diet especially, but bread's still a staple in our lives. It's a part of everyday life, and it sustains us for a time. The manner that fell from heaven to the people who were in a desert who had nothing to eat and later quail was given to them by God to sustain them for a time, for a day. 
In fact, they were instructed. It was, it was a mechanism, Exodus tells us, to test the Israelites' faith and trust and dependence in God. And they were instructed to only take enough for one day. If they took more, well, guess what? It all went rotten. It went foul. They were, they were asked to take enough for two days prior to the Sabbath so that they didn't have to work on the Sabbath. There's this picture, isn't there, of daily bread. Does that sound familiar? Give us this day our daily bread. The Lord doesn't say, give us this day eggs, cheese. It's a staple requirement for life, and it's bread. The daily aspect hints at our dependence on God. I'm going to be enough for a year just today. Sustain me today, God. Sustain me in this day. Bread is a very, very important metaphor. And it's one that everyone can get their head around, whatever culture they are from. So point number two then, Jesus. A bread that tastes better. A bread that tastes better than the world's bread. Do you know that the town that Jesus is born is called Bethlehem, the town of David, the city of David, where he was born. It literally means house of bread. House of bread. And out of this house comes the bread of life. Probably not insignificant. Verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. There's a qualitative difference. This bread that Jesus is makes sure that we never go hungry. Now, we need to distinguish between the physical and the spiritual. Jesus is not saying, I will give you enough bread to eat in the sense of eternal life. He's saying, I'm the bread. And it's a spiritual reality. You'll never go hungry in me spiritually you'll never be thirsty in me spiritually 51 says i am the living bread that came down from heaven whoever eats this bread will live forever these jews that are encountering jesus and chasing after him are hungry They've had their fill of food, but they're hungering for something else. They know there is something amazing going on in this man, but they just don't quite get what it is. So they ask for another miracle. Or perhaps they're looking for him to overthrow the Romans. Perhaps they're looking for him to restore the temple properly, to uh, get rid of the Herodian uh, leadership in the form of the kings at that time. What do you hunger for? What are you hungry for in this life? We all hunger after something. We all chase after something. We desire something in this life. So often the world is looking in the wrong place. And I might say, and I say this with sincerity because I have to look at myself. So often we're looking in the wrong place. We're hungering still after the wrong things. Material possessions. As Christians, we can hunger after those things. Money. It's probably no accident that a euphemism for money is dough. Is bread. Going to make some dough. 
good jobs, good degrees, good businesses. There is the bread or the hungering of addictions, not just the big obvious ones, alcohol, drugs, sex. What about the small ones? The movies, a TV series, nothing necessarily wrong in and of themselves, depending on what ones you watch. But have you ever hungered for them? I've hungered for them. I get to a Friday night, big work. Friday night for us is date night. And often I say, hey, let's watch a movie. <laughs> a hunger for a bit of peace and rest and to be entertained. That's not great. I mean, it's okay to watch a movie, but it's not great to hunger for them. TV series. Have you heard binge watching? It's a new concept, isn't it? The Netflix era where people start watching a series on Friday night and they finish it by Sunday night. Hours of watching. The world hungers for the wrong things. I think the biggest thing that the world hungers after, the bread that the world consumes, that it thinks will bring satisfaction and fulfillment, is actually experience human experiences to be able to do something to collect experiences to travel again nothing necessarily wrong with traveling to be involved in big events you know the whole kind of instagram experience of people photographing themselves <laughs> in front of the Eiffel Tower, the Leaning Tower of Pizza, P Pizza, not pizza. Hunger, hungering after the wrong bread, sorry. <laughs> have to remove that. But with the idea that we're gonna put ourselves in the picture of experience. I was here, I was there, I did this, I did that. Somehow my life is full, it is satisfying. The trouble is that these shiny things of life that promise to bring satisfaction and fulfillment lead to death. They lead to decay. There's nothing in and of themselves that will rescue you from sin and death. What do you hunger for? What are your addictions? What bread of life do you consume? I found it very hard preparing this message because I had to question myself. You can't stand up and ask other people what they hunger for without questioning yourself. Food is a big one for me. It is an addiction. It is a sin. Pray for me. The world's bread seems shiny and tasty, but it is death. There are good things in the world. Don't get me wrong. Don't hear me wrong. There are good things in the world. And we can live in a way that brings glory to God by the way we interact with those good things. But when it becomes about ourselves, it's just death. It's rotten. It's rotten bread. It's the manna that was collected for two days and did nothing except rot. The Bible warns us against loving the bread of the world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the shiny things, the bread, the hungry things we hunger for, 
all those things comes not, come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires, here it is, will pass away. Your hunger for the world will pass away. They will come to nothing. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. I am the bread of life. It's 1 John 2. Listen to Mark 8. The Lord himself says, after asking people to follow him, to come after him, to deny themselves, to take up their cross, he says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and gives up his soul? <laughs> what are you hungering for? You're not going to gain anything if you don't have Christ. He doesn't answer the question. It's a rhetorical one because the answer is obvious, isn't it? What does it profit you? It doesn't. You get nothing at the end of it. How many parables are there about storing things up for yourself? So in contrast to hungering for the things in the world, what does the bread that Jesus is taste like? Well, in contrast, the bread that Jesus is tastes like real life. Genuine living. And by genuine living, I mean a living for God in the right way. Tasting living. Have you ever tasted living well for God? Sort of taste. It sort of feels good. It's, there's something rich about it. Not that we praise ourselves, but we praise God because he's working in us and by his grace, he's sanctifying us. We live for God. We obey him. This is what the bread that Jesus is tastes like. This is the work that God is doing in us. We love him. We get real life. It's satisfying. It might not feel satisfying at times, but I can tell you it is nourishing you. It is growing you. And it's eternal. It tastes eternal. How can we say we have hope if it isn't eternal? But we have a hope in Christ that is eternal. Does that taste good to you? Does it, Chapel Street? It tastes good to me. I need to be reminded of that taste. I need to be tasting that taste. And I want you to be tasting it as well because satisfaction will not come from anywhere else. Fulfillment isn't about me taking a photo of myself in front of the Eiffel Tower. It's about kneeling humbly before the cross and saying, not my will, yours. Isn't that what you said to the Father? tastes like peace with God. It tastes like forgiveness for sins. It's a good bread to eat. And guess what? We need to eat it every day. I think when the Lord says, give us this day our daily bread, he's talking about depending on God and having what we need to live. But there's another sense in which we need to eat of this bread of life that is Jesus, the I am, every single day. This bread 
isn't manna. It isn't damper. It's a person. It's a man. The man who is God. I am the bread of life. It's a God that we need to partake in, partake of. It's a crazy idea. Again, the Jews just don't get it. And to be honest, neither would you. Neither would I if we were standing there. So our big question then is how do you partake of this bread? Isn't that the obvious question? <laughs> how do we do it? How do we take something of this bread and eat it? You must ask two questions. Do you have the bread? Are you partaking in the bread that is Jesus Christ, in whom there is life? And if you don't have the bread, well, how do you get it? Let's look at the text again. Verse 26, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate of the loaves and had your fill. You ate human bread. You ate earthly bread. It was a miracle. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Did you see the word there? Work. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked a great question. Wow, what must we do to do the work that God requires? That's sort of a standard response, isn't it? What have I got to do to please God? What have I got to do to get saved? What is it that I have to do to partake of the bread of life? And his response is staggering. He says, the work of God is this. The work of God, not you, although you are going to play a part. The work of God is this. What is it, Lord? To believe in the one he has sent. Who's that? <laughs> Jesus. See, I am the bread of life. This is the crux for me, the center, pivotal, crucial part of this text. Consuming the bread of life is believing in Jesus. It's trusting in him for life, for real life, now and on and on eternally. It's a work that God is doing in you. Let's look at that question again. What must we do to do the works of God that God requires? Sorry. Jesus says the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. God is working in you to cause you to believe in him. And you might say, that's great. I'll sit back at the back of church and I'll just enjoy the experience because I believe. It's all I need to do and God has done that work. I didn't need to do anything else. Well, that is not the case. Because God's work of causing us to believe should cause us to respond, to cause us to 
trust him for our daily bread, to trust him for our salvation, to trust him for real life into the future, to obey him. You see, God causes us to see Christ and the cross and to come to him, but he also causes us to persevere. How much is there in the Bible about long-suffering, enduring, perseverance? It's riddled with that concept. The saints have to persevere, continue in faith. The Apostle Paul writes in Timothy that he has fought the good fight, that he has kept the faith. There's this, this picture of he's about to die. So I've, I've persevered. I've done my bit. God has worked in me and I have persevered. God is at work in us to believe in him and to keep believing in him, to keep trusting him every day. I remember I used to go to, to work, um, I won't say where, but one particular place, and I found it very stressful. And uh, as ever, I consulted the person who has all wisdom in my household, and that was Sandy. I said to her, how can I do this? And she said, well, every day when you go in, pull up and pray. Pray that you'd act righteously, that you bring honor and glory to God, that you would, as it were, feed from the bread of life. And go into your day. And I used to do that. And I pray this ridiculously eloquent prayer just me and the lord pathetic and then i go into this place of work and i completely forget that god existed i wasn't doing my part i wasn't trusting god for the minute i prayed and just left it to him my part is essential i have to obey i have to love and he is working in us to cause that to happen because he is the bread of life. Work in life. You have a part to play. You might say, well, it's not all about works. It isn't. It's about salvation. And we can't get salvation through works, maybe the way these Jews looked at it. But because he has worked in us, we work in him. We abide in him. And so we seek his kingdom. We share the gospel. We read his word. That's what we need to hear. Hunger for the word. Psalm 1. I won't go through it now, but read Psalm 1 again. There's this man who desires to read the word of God. He desires it. He meditates on it day and night. He's hungry to hear God's voice. We must do works. We must do works that bring glory to God. But God must be the power in them. He must be the one driving us. It's an ongoing thing. We must play our part. We must be holy. And if we don't, well, we need to confess. We need to repent. Whoever says, I know him, this is John 1, John 2. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Isn't that beautiful? You keep his word because you love him. The word of God is perfecting in us. The love of God is being perfected in us. By this, says John, we may know that we are of him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 
Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do not eat or hunger for the bread of this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the testing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We cannot sit back as Christians. One of the sad things I think of the modern evangelical Western world is that we overemphasize grace. And in a sense, you can't overemphasize grace. But if we overemphasize grace in the absence of holiness, then we just sit back and do whatever we want, and it's okay because God forgives us. That is not obeying Christ. But what if you don't have this bread? What if you've never tasted the things I'm talking about? What if it just makes no sense to you? Jesus tastes like eternity. It's a complex concept. Well, there's a really, really big warning in this text. Just jump back again to John 6, verse 32, and I'll read this section. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven. It's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, not just the Jews. Sir, they said. They acknowledge, they give him a title. Sir, there's respect there. They said, always give us this bread. This bread sounds good. Give it to us always. We want this bread. It brings life. Jesus says, I am the bread. It's me you need to feed on. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now listen carefully. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. Now the Lord goes on to express how God's sovereignty calls people. But let me ask you. I know you. I know some of you. I love you. I know you love me. It would be foolish of me talking about this not to ask you. Have you seen Jesus and not believed in him? Have you seen him and not tasted of him? Because you can. You can know about Jesus. We read the Bible all the time. We come and confess. We come and sing our hymns to our glorious God. We can know all about him doesn't mean we know him have you seen me and still you do not believe verse 29 he says the work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent well how does God cause people to see who Jesus really is what does God the father want people to see in who Jesus is well one they want him to see is God I am the bread of life. You know, just having an idea that Jesus is a great man and just says great things and does amazing miracles is not enough. Clearly it's not enough. <laughs> the Jews haven't got this at all. You need to know he's God. You need to know he's the creator. God is the one that reveals it to us. And how does he do it? He does it through the gospel. The Bible teaches that the gospel has 
power. It is power to call us, to cause us to eat the bread of life. So then may I share the gospel with you. Dave will, I'm sure, take us deeper into this, so I'll keep it simple. The gospel is very straightforward. You might not believe it. You might not agree with it. You might hate it. If you do, you're probably hearing something of it, and that's good. I'll just tell a quick anecdote. Many years ago, I was in a church, and the preacher was standing up, and he was preaching on hell and sin and judgment, and the gospel was there, and it was terrifying. I remember sitting at the back, and I was quite literally on the edge of my seat, and I was enjoying it. It tasted good. It was encouraging me. It was rebuking me. That was encouraging, if that makes sense. And right in the middle of this grand sermon, this guy right in the middle of the church stood up and he ran to the back and he ran out of the church and there's these great big doors and he slammed one of the doors and this big echo came back through the church and everyone saw this and witnessed this. And the preacher said, because it was a little bit embarrassing, he said, don't worry about him. He heard it. He heard the message. That was his response, but he heard it. He heard the gospel. What about you? What about you? Are you going to hear it? God becomes a man because man couldn't save himself. Man rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. And he did nothing good. Not one righteous thing. He couldn't save himself. And God brought the law into existence. And the Jews said, great, let's obey this. We can please God. We can, oh, we're not obeying it. We're not pleasing God. The law is holy. so God came in human likeness Philippians 2 says he said it was not robbery for him to be found in appearance as God because what he was God he is the I am he humbled himself and ultimately he went to a lonely cross in your place and in my place and instead of you and instead of me he was judged for your sin your nature as sinful people, not just the sins that you commit. And God the Father was pleased because his holy law had been satisfied. That is the good tasting bread that is Jesus Christ. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, victorious and triumphant, never to die again. And in him, through this trusting, through this believing, who's continuing to trust God's power is at work to save you. So it should be good food. What are you hungry for? Are you hungry for food? It's moving towards lunchtime. Are you hungry for the world? Be honest with yourself. Don't deceive yourselves. Or are you hungry for Jesus? If you want to come to Christ, let me ask you this. What should your disposition, your attitude, your perspective from the heart be? You come to Jesus and say, I'm doing not too bad, but I recognize I do need salvation. So maybe you could just help me with that. Or do you come broken and contrite and humble, recognizing who you really are? A broken, rotten sinner who hungers for the world that will lead to nothing but death. And you recognize who he is, the bread of life, who gave himself up for you. Don't be proud. 
Proud people don't come to Christ. They get broken and then they come to Christ. Well, maybe today the table is set for us. It's not a not an accident. I don't know if Dave or Warren or myself, whoever planned any of this, but certainly God planned this. We're going to come. I'm sure the Lord had this in mind, don't you? The Last Supper. He, he created an institution. Do this in remembrance of me. That's why we do this. We come to see the flesh, as it were, the bread. We come to see the blood, the wine or the juice in this case. To remember what? To remember that gospel. To remember that we've been saved. To give thanks to God. To consider whether or not we've been hungering after the world. And to confess our sins. This is the time. You have an opportunity. Maybe it'll be the first time that you come to Christ. Amen. Don't delay. Do that today. But how are you going to come? Well, maybe. Maybe you'll come... <clears throat> like the Canaanite, the Syrophoenician woman, the non-Jew who came to Jesus. Matthew 15, Matthew records for us that a Canaanite woman from that vicinity, that's around Tyre and Sidon, came to him, listen, crying out, Lord, son of David. Does she recognize something about Jesus? Lord, you're the Lord. You're the son of David. Have mercy on me. What is her disposition? What is her heart like? Broken. My daughter, she says, is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. Isn't that interesting? And so the disciples came to him and said, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. And he said this, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him. And she said, Lord, help me. She's hungering for mercy, isn't she? Lord, help me. Jesus said, it's not right to take, listen, the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. The bread is precious. And I love this. Yes, it is, Lord, she says. Yes, it is. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She recognizes that she is sinful that in front of the master, the Lord, the son of David, she's a wretched sinner. And when the Lord says, how can you have the bread? It's for the children. We put it on the table for the children of Israel. She says, I might be a dog and I'll eat the crumbs that fall from it. I need this. I hunger for you. And guess what his response is? He says, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted guess what? Her daughter was healed that moment. She ate from the bread of life. She received eternal life. <clears throat> well, the Jews said, sir, always give us this bread. And Jesus said, I'm the bread. I'm the bread of life. 
Come to me and you'll never grow hungry. Come to me and you'll never be thirsty. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. Lord, as we pause now and reflect on the fact that we are going to come to the table that you've prepared, we consider again, Lord, that we are helpless, wretched, hungering after the world people who did not come to know you by our effort, but came to know you by your grace. You called us. You worked in us, Lord. I pray that we'd really get that this morning, Lord, that if we knew that already, it might be fresh to us again. And Lord, if we didn't know that, that we might come to know for the first time that Jesus is our sacrifice. Father, I pray this week for myself and my friends that you would help us to eat, abide, connected to Christ. Help us, Lord, to hear in your word the sweet promises of truth in spite of our predicament and circumstances. And Lord, would you teach us as a daily thing to depend on you for the bread of life that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>